You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the legends of Runeterra. My name is Marco the Lip from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and with me tonight is my legendary and ever faithful co-host and his neighbor's dog, Dead Broke Nerd. <laughs> Dead Broke Nerd, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. The uh, the dog has temporarily ceased uh, its endless assaults on my eardrums, uh, but let's hope that that let's hope that that holds. You know um it's been a it's been a day i did get to actually play a board game with my dad he swung by after work we played a round of haven it was really fun oh that's a fun um, little two-player game i like that it yeah it is you know i that's that's a that's a fan favorite for me and my girlfriend and uh showed it to my dad and, and he had a blast with it too so just a quick top of the episode shout out to the two-player game haven it's a uh, good game for beginners but also it's accessible enough and it's not too like screw with your opponent that uh, it's also pretty uh, newer players or, or, or people that don't like super competitive games can probably get into it. So there you go. Yeah. You can find it at Barnes and Noble. Haven is made by a company called Red Raven Games who's owned by a guy named Ryan Lockett who makes all of his games, all of the artwork, all of the sculpting, all of the rules, all the publishing, all the graphic design. He's a one-man show with the exception of, as it turns out, Haven, which is the only game that he has in his uh, store uh, or like in his collection of games uh, from Red Raven isn't actually designed by him, to my knowledge. I actually have a piece of artwork uh, from another one of the Red Raven games, uh, Ancient World 2nd Edition, uh, on my wall in my in my game room, my stream room, uh, because it's one of our favorite, uh, favorite artists and one of my family's, my wife and I's uh, favorite game designers. So check it out. Red Raven Games, good stuff. This is now a board game podcast. April Fool's. Someone did make the suggestion that we should, uh, that we should like release an episode, a announcing that we're covering hearthstone or something um no, that'd be funny for april fools which i think would be really funny but it would yeah. be it'd be so much better if our episodes came out on friday still but being as they come out on wednesday which is not april fools it's the day before you know, april could, fools it just doesn't work i mean now it would ruin the surprise but i guess you could always edit this out if you really liked the idea but you could like release a special episode like a like a just like uh-huh, a, a five uh-huh. minute episode. It was like quick announcement, guys. Released on Friday at the, after doing the Wednesday. Quick announcement, guys. We want to let you guys know. You know, we are actually moving away from Runeterra, and we we really appreciate all the time. But we've decided, actually, both of us, uh, we want to get back into Hearthstone. So we're going to be switching over to Hearthstone <laughs> support. Like you could just do that, like because that's what people do that all the time on podcasts, like announcement, like yeah, yeah. Uh, episodes. You know. That'd be pretty we could like do the beginning of the pilot for season three is us announcing that we're going to do something. Well, I'm not going to take the time to edit all this out. So this is really just all going to be banter. Just be happy. So all now we're guys. not doing that. Yeah. Just be happy that you Surprise. didn't actually, you're not going to have to endure that trickery, that trickery. And also we don't yeah, have time true. to be doing 
trickery. There, there's, there's no time in life for trickery right now. I love I, trickery. I did get to play a board game this week as well. Um, I played uh, Legends or Lord of the Rings: Journeys in Middle Earth, which is the Fantasy Flight miniatures version of the Lord of the Rings stuff, with my brother uh, yesterday, and uh, had a great time. We're like closing in on the end of the ten or twelve part uh, sort of campaign module uh, that's the expansion for it, uh, where you get to fight. I won't even say what you're able to fight. It's a lot of fun though. So if you're into Lord of the Rings. A uh, little little board game shout out at the beginning of the episode as well for that. Um, and then on the LOR note, uh, I finished my event pass this week. So I got my Prismatic Azir. Nice. Are you almost there? Have you finished it? Where you at? It's going to be tough, but it's definitely grindable. I've got a couple of the like the last tiers on a couple of the quests left. And then I think right now, here, I'll, I'll pull it up. I was looking at stuff for this episode, but I'll go ahead and pull up my event pass. I'm at two. 35 235 235 so it's out of 270 so okay, it's gonna be a little okay. bit of grind how but many it's doable. days do you have left like one. a day one day like you it's tomorrow so are you trying to grind it well tonight? it's no and no, it's one day and 14 hours okay okay you have like so, a day a day and a half yeah so i'll get let's see i'll get another 18 off of the quests and then I just got to grind out some wins for the last uh, three. Plus, you get an extra uh, two for the first one each day. So, you know, it'll be it'll be a grind, but I'll get it. Okay. Okay. I yeah. want to get it. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I, I am motivated to get it. There does come a point in which it's worth spending the coins to finish out the pass because it actually mm, costs true. you less coins. Like, if, if you get to, like, only three left and you spend the coins to get the Prismatic Azir, it, it's, it's like less coins and you get more stuff if you buy it I out. I might do that, too. Yeah. If, you, if, you, if, you <laughs> if it gets it close out, and I don't want to spend the time, I'll, then I'll, I'll, just, I will drop a, a little bit of money for it. Yeah, it, it's, it's worth it to get the Prismatic Azir, right? Because it's like, I don't know, it's like... Uh, 450 uh, to do like the last three chunks of it, 450 coins, where it's typically 600 coins to make a champion. So you actually could do the last four sections of it with coins, and it would cost you the same amount as it would be in coins to just buy the Prismatic Azir, um, which I think is interesting. You, you could get up close and then buy your way to it if you were, you know, maybe going to buy a Prismatic Azir at one point or not the another. But I did, I finished it on Friday night uh, this past week, and there was a question that came out that you had to deal like 500 damage or something um mm -hmm. with uh with creatures and so i went up against the ai was actually streaming over in the lux discord and hanging out with uh, a couple of guys uh who play runeterra and uh and we did the swole squirrel combo so i got like <laughs> i got like uh it wasn't ridiculous right it could get bigger but i did a bunch of like strikes in it and uh made him unkillable with the the spell and of course i was against ai but i dealt like i don't know fourteen thousand damage or something in my fatal swing with just my swole squirrel um <laughs> i was up against like an elise deck though and it was annoying because i had done all my damage and i just had like swole squirrel and a couple of others on the board and he kept putting spiders down and then just chump blocking my like 8,000 attack or whatever my 3,000 attack uh swole squirrel with a spider hmm. uh which was very obnoxious very yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh give swole squirrel overwhelm it should read once he gets 100 attack he gets overwhelmed once he gets 100 yeah <laughs> <laughs> well if you can get him to 100 you deserve to win with just, overwhelm with swole squirrel know. is all you, I'm trying yeah, to say yeah just run it just run it with any of the things that also give overwhelm. 
Well, you could, but then it's hard because there's nothing that gives it overwhelming. Or give him elusive in Demacia. Give him elusive, uh, elusive. Okay, okay. In, that's uh, fair. And Ionia, um, I what, do want to actually. Oh, well, so I, I, yeah, so I actually played uh, several things. So I played a little bit of uh, a ranked. I, I did finally get an L on my Braum deck. The, oh. the ridiculous streak is over. Okay, okay. Um, I think it had about 20 wins. Uh, I After having such huge success with it, I like moved on and tried other things that I was having fun with. But I think it got about 20 wins before, before losing. Uh, I stopped counting after like 14 or 15, but... Um, Wow. But it's 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 really good, and honestly, it's just it's perfectly my play style. It's like aggressive mid range, you uh, know. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really and your kind of sweet spot. You you understand that, that's those my well. cup of tea, right? Like, I mean, my best decks in uh, Tessel were either well, I was a pretty good aggro player, but I wasn't the best aggro player. But I do think I could have been one of the best aggressive mid range players, especially when I had options. Like, I was I would consistently like beat top tier players with item daggerfall and item uh um sorcerer mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um and so like th- those were the things but daggerfall particularly um also what was that was a battle mage was the other one item battle mage i had fun with so like item decks in particular which weren't super good but which were exactly my play style giving you like trade potential and reach like balancing between them and i feel like that's kind of similar with uh with this uh scargrounds from Vlad deck, which is you get the ability to increase your trade potential because you're buffing things, but it also doubles his reach. And so it just puts your opponent like so on the defensive so quickly. And even like really good control decks have a hard time dealing with it. But I did finally lose to NASA's Atrocity, which oh. is uh, anybody who's been, you know, in our Discord knows I've been very heavily against for a while now. Uh, it's, it's to me one of the least interesting ways to win outside of the Dreadway combo because. You know, one of the challenging things in traditionally in, in card games about really big units is that you have to leverage them into making a difference on the board so that your opponent can't just ignore them. That's the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you say. I summon a really big swole squirrel, but like you were saying, you have to get overwhelm on it or elusive on it, or else they're just gonna keep chump blocking. Well, so Nasus has that built-in mechanic of he's fearsome and he lowers their attack and he wants you to kind of play around with some of that stuff. Um, but then chucking an atrocity at, at your face and completely ignoring his impact in combat, that isn't interesting for me. And also, you know, with, with only so many ways to play around atrocity, especially when they can double atrocity, um, it really doesn't create for very interesting situations. For me, I think it's a little bit, even if it's not broken in the grand scheme of things, because you can argue like, hey, just win before that happens. That's a good argument. Uh, but it, it's not an argument that, creates an open environment that's an that's the argument in design that creates really polarized closed environments right um you want there to be counterplay at all stages of the game even if a deck is disfavored um yeah yeah of course and atrocity doesn't i mean in yeah, general yeah and atrocity says you have to have one of a couple things to even try to deal with me and even if you do i'm now in a faction where i get right of negation which before you had to play Shadow Isles <laughs> with Ionia, which almost never paired together. Which like, is they bad. didn't go yeah, together. Which just was not a good pairing. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, even if you can deal with it, uh, even if you can interrupt the atrocity or try to play something where you would win beforehand, 
right? Which is what I tried to do. I tried to like, oh, okay, like my opponent was like two. So I played a couple cards that would ping my Crimson Disciple so that I would win. Right uh, Negation like cancels a, all like, of that out, yeah. Yeah, Right Negation came down and canceled my Ice Shard and my um, uh, Battle Fury, I think it was. So anyways, uh, it was a bummer. Sad for that deck to lose. But I did want to shout out a really fun little article which I stumbled into actually on my phone's news feed. You know, your phone is always listening, guys. You know, you keep keep always. that in mind. Yes. Always listening. Always. But what that does do So is your Alexa in your house. She knows everything. Right. She knows everything about your personal life. You really should next time ask Alexa for some dating tips, you know. She'll she know what's what you're up to be able to help you, you know. Yeah, if you're struggling. That's right. If you're struggling. Yeah. Um so anyway, <laughs> anyways, uh I stumbled onto an article that got recommended for Mobilytics, and I just want to shout it out because I actually had a really uh, fun time. I played some of these decks. So the the article was four off-meta LOR decks with competitive potential. Um, and so it, that that is that is literally my cup of tea. You know, everyone who watched my stream when I te- when I played Tessel knows that was exactly my niche was competitive off-meta, mm-hmm. right? That was what I loved. I like to win, but I also like to experiment. And exploit the meta. So um, this was really cool for me. I was very excited to mess around with it. Um, so shout out to uh, Precipic, who is the author. And Precipic uh, highlighted a couple decks from Kuvira, and then one deck of his own, uh, his or her. I don't actually know Precipic. So uh, their own. And uh, I tried three of the four decks and just had a ton of fun. Now, it should be noted, I didn't win a lot. That's not to say that that's the, the deck's fault because these are off-meta things that require you to learn new combinations and learn new stuff. But I have a new like top five favorite deck now from this uh, from this thing. So um, I don't know if we can link the article or something. We don't really have to, but you yeah, just go yeah, to Mobilytics we, and, we and pull it up. And put it in the show. You can notes, find it sure. for sure. Um, but I, this is the kind of content I love to see, by the way, from writers and stuff. I love to see like analysis, but also like, interesting deck ideas i don't like reading meta reports as we've already established but i do love reading about the game the issue is a lot of times the reading tends to just be meta reports reports or Uh here's how to counter the best deck and i'm like well i I," not to pat myself on the back but i I already know that and or can figure that out on my own so i don't need that but this is the kind of stuff that i love 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 to see so shout out to precipic and i guess kuvira for collaborating um so the decks there there was a pnz frail yord overwhelm list which looked really exciting yeah, which is using cool. timo timo sejuani but not for the puff caps package but instead to kind of take renekton out of the renekton sedge overwhelm deck and instead be able to super consistently trigger plunders uh off of uh like the wolf rider off of the shared spoils and spoils of war Oh yeah, those are uh, which cool is cards. Really spoiled, spoils of war. I got a story about that in a second, but go ahead. Yeah, but then it still runs things like so. Wolf Rider again being overwhelmed kind of takes the place of the Renekton. But then you have the Alpha Wild Claws, the Ancient Yetis, uh, Sejuani, and then you're running, of course, like Battle Fury uh, and, and stuff to try to push the damage. But because you've got things like Teemo, Ballistic Bots, Poro mm-hmm, Cannon, mm-hmm. Mystic Shots, you're getting you're kind of diversifying your damage. Whereas in the Renekton. Sejuani build, which I think is pretty good. I've had a lot of success with, by the way. Um, that one, you're you're very hyper focused on combat overwhelm damage, which when it's disrupted, kind of leaves you without any way to do anything. So yeah, you're, and there's plenty you're, of ways to disrupt it right now. 
Right. And you can vulnerable and pull things over, but this is going to allow you to, you can mystic shot and kill something if you really need to. You can get excited something, you know? So, it, but it still has, of course, the Battle Fury finisher, right? I, and I really like that. I think that that's a more hybridized version. I played a couple games with it, had fun, won one game, won lo- uh, lost one game. But seeing Ballistic Bot in a deck is just really fun. Ballistic Bot's got a lot of great, uh, great names or great uh, voice lines excuse me there was a bilgewater overwhelm list which was aggro i loved it in concept but i struggled to win with it um it was cool and and i just like playing bilgewater uh, outside of like twisted fates so it was like gangplank and uh and then like it was using renekton with like hired gun and ye been warned to trigger like to get more vulnerable triggers uh which we've already established hired guns really cool oh yeah know? yeah really like hired gun um, and then the last one I tried, the, one of the lists was a, uh, was a, a Felios deck, which I'm not interested in. Um, <laughs> I like a Felios. I think he's really fun. Oh I, I think he's really fun. I haven't played him in like his metal lists, but I've played him in my own lists and have really enjoyed playing him. I, I think my he's a lot issue, of fun. my issue with the Felios is exactly what I thought it would be when we first previewed it. If you remember, I was very much like, eh, I was like, this is going to be strong, but eh, right. Because there is a certain breaking point where I don't want to spend that much dang time cycling through cards on my turn. <laughs> to choose. Ah, this card it's is not even, it's, it's not even the choice. It's going through the animations. It's going through the... It's just the turns take so freaking long. Plus, we don't even need to get into the balance side of things. We talked about that last week. But just purely from the fact that anytime I play against, against Nefelios, much less play it myself, the games take twice as long. They, they the games take long. forever. I play and it's for a, a and then while. and then their hands get filled up with resources, so it takes way more like way more time for them to figure out how they want to spend their mana. So the games just take way longer. I, I played the grindiest game against a Talia Ophelios uh, the other day with my with my Brom deck, and I won, but like it took me like twenty turns. And I'm just like sitting there, like like slowly removing or or dealing with their threats little by little, push you know threatening them enough that they had to block with their Aphelios, whatnot. Then they summon another Aphelios, generate 17 more cards, and it's just like this is just getting absolutely infuriating. It's just like their hand will never run out, and it just takes so long. I was sitting there for I felt like I was sitting there for 45 minutes. Uh, it was ridiculous, but. All that to tell you, the deck that I was super excited about and I'm still playing, even though like I have a very, I think I have a less than 50% win rate with it, but darn it if it isn't the most fun thing. Uh, it's Ezreal and LeBlanc with Legion Marauders and the new Strength and Numbers. Oh yeah, I've seen that deck a couple of times. That's a very uh, with, interesting deck. With Tri-Beam and Propulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you're running Mimics. Okay, yeah. That um, so you're running your, your Marauders, right? Right. Well, so you mim- you can mimic your Marauders, but you can also mimic iterative improvements. Well, so you can't mimic your Marauders. You can mimic strength and numbers, which okay. can be good okay. if you have okay. that okay. much mana. I forgot what mimic but you, does. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you mimic your iterative improvement and then create more <laughs> Marauders, and which creates you know more ways to buff up your they propulators. Get, they get really out of hand very quick. The Marauders they can do, get and- really out of hand really quick. And because like mimic, whispered words, like those things go off of reputation, as soon as you get like one or two triggers of Legion Marauders, all of a sudden they're five attack units. You're creating so many copies of them that they're hard to get rid of. God, if it isn't hilarious and so fun. Uh, it's not, it's not 
you know, super, super broken or, 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 or overpowered or anything. It's definitely off meta, but it is one of the funnest decks I've played in this, in this environment so far. And I'm just like, this is so exciting. The only thing that sucks is when your strength in numbers gets denied or right of negation, because you just can't do anything about it, <laughs> but it's a fun deck. That's cool. That's really cool. So um, I was going to say I played my expedition run, my second expedition, not my expedition run, my uh, my league game this week, my second league game. And which ah, this, is yes. the, this is the third week in the row I'm paired against someone in the EU. So I'm going to have to talk to someone about their matchmaking systems because I keep <laughs> playing like the formula in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> um, it just it just so happens that I my third week is actually against uh, someone from Germany. Um, so I played for I played against somebody from the EU and they played meta, which is fine uh because i mean that that's kind of part of the like i i really only play meta is like that that's cool but it was really interesting because they played tf fizz but it was it was not with pnz it was tf fizz with frail yord now i i lost to it the first time with my monkeys deck because i refuse to not play that deck it's bad but i refuse to not play it um it's bad but fun yeah and then i beat him with Demacia, and he responded with uh uh, in kind, of course, was Shen Fiora, which just crushes Demacia. Um, Naturally. Is, yeah, kind of the way that it goes. Um, but I, I did play, uh, I played against this deck. It was really interesting. So TF is with the focus on plunder, because I think, what is it, Spoiled Goods? Is it the one that if you've plundered, it gives something like plus two, plus four? Um, is that, uh, I, I can't remember. There's one of the new Freljord plunder spoils cards. Spoils of War is the one you're thinking of. The Spoils of War, yeah. And so, uh, it, really interesting card, but it, it's a, it's a it's a burst buff and i didn't even realize it was a card but it targeting fizz is really really strong with it well it's a permanent buff yes it's a permanent buff mm -hmm. that's a plus two plus four if you've plundered so he was running um some warning shots uh, a couple of warning shots and then that and i i lost the first game because he like he literally warned he had fizz on the board he warning shot and then doubled like hit that twice on fizz and it was like i, I guess i never get rid of this guy um it's like uh, especially with uh, a P with a with a deck that like wants to deal one damage with everything and then mm -hmm. summons yeah. a bunch of powder monkeys. Um, so I, I didn't win both of my games, but it was really interesting. And I thought it was a creative take. And he was like, ah, "I'm sorry, I'm playing meta," but I was like. I, I, this isn't really meta like I know that this is the it's the meta shell but it's a little bit off and a little bit interesting because it was also running Starlight Seer and I, I'm pretty much a fan of any deck that's willing to put Starlight Seer in it um, because mm -hmm. I just love Starlight Seer as a card and as a design and all, all across the board I love Starlight Seer and so uh, that it was fun it was fun to lose to uh, not so much fun to lose to Fiora Shen um, mm -hmm. but you know what that you you roll into that you know that Fiora Shen just rolls over your board centric deck so there is no chance you know I think that there's really something like to the idea of taking the shell of a very strong deck, especially one where most of the strength is coming from one faction and being supplemented or, you know, made more efficient by another faction yeah. and trying it out with other, uh, you know, other styles and, and sampling agree. other splash cards. I think that's a very interesting way to look at, you know, how to find some more interest in a play style that is a little overplayed, you know, think about, okay, do I really need this? uh you know other these cards or is the combination of you know the cards in this one faction the strength of that in this case of course with tf fizz burble fish all those things being you know really really good now obviously with pnz it increases the cycle speed you know but there's other things that potentially you could work in too so like for example like actually um gibbles and bits and i we had uh when he was playing last season uh, he was trying to come up with decks and stuff uh, to use for the 
bracket, right? Where like mm -hmm. you had to submit four decks. Cause again, we have a, a system and I'm not going to go through the rules where like you can pull from your pool of decks as long as you don't duplicate a region when you're playing in Swiss, right? So it's just kind of like pull from your collection, play something that is a faction you haven't played before uh, in this in so yeah. far in the match, right? It so it's, it's not like you have to submit your deck list. And I'm actually, I, I like that format because it's, it takes the burden off of the, the admins. It's a really uh, fun pretty way heavily. to play actually, to be honest with you, it's, it's, it's a super fun way to play. I really, and I do it. think it, I do think it both benefits the uh, casual player for being able to be flexible in the matchup. And, and this, the idea of like planning and meticulously laying out your matchups for a structured deck submission is actually really, really tough to do. Uh, but it also can benefit a, a, a you know very savvy player who knows how to adapt in the middle of a match to what the opponent just won with you know so like there's there's some strategy involved on both sides but but when we were doing the bracket which is what we do for the the top eight um, mm -hmm. when we cut to the top eight we make it a bracket they do have to submit decks and they'll ban a deck um, you know Gibbles and Bits uh, was was talking to me and he was saying how he really wanted to play at the time like um, a trundle with. Uh, what is the uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on it. The the uh, get no get excited. What's the, what's the no, it's not the get excited, it's the <laughs> feel the rush. Feel the rush. Oh, Thank you. Okay, yeah, sure. With feel the rush, right? And and was really excited about that, but also his best deck, one of the decks he was most comfortable in, was Mist Wraiths. And he's like, and I love he, he loved Mist Wraiths for the counterplay against TK Sirak at the time. Didn't want to give up Mist Wraiths, but was really in, you know, feeling uh trundle with uh you know with shadow isles and, and control right uh it was trundle trindomir mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well and and i was talking to him, i was like well why do you need to play shadow isles with trundle trindomir you, yeah you, you don't, don't need it the majority of the deck is frail yord mm -hmm. it, it's the most optimized version of the list but in a in a, a closed format where you can only play a region once you can supplement it and it'll be pretty efficient. Yeah. So he actually went in and, and we built a Demacia Freljord list, which took out the ruinations and the, um, what it was, uh, vengeances, which was pretty much all that you were running anyways. And then like a couple, I think, uh, the vile feast and we put in concerted strike judgment and, uh, uh, radiant guardians, I think. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, maybe I it wasn't Radiant a, Guardian. I think it is a really fun way to Somebody go about uh, to go about supplementing or changing things up. It's a fun way to mm -hmm. play. Like, okay, so this is the meta deck. Then people have countered it. Well, how can I counter the counter? Well, let's drop the region yeah. and pick up protection in in a new way. If a lot of people were making my Fizz and my TF vulnerable, um, maybe I protect them in, instead of leveling up TF quite so fast, right? Um, yeah, which yeah. was which or having as much removal as I was going to have before because they're putting big beefier boys on the board so my pnz removal isn't really doing the trick well okay well then let's protect my stuff instead um i yeah. think that is interesting I, I do want to go over and i want to thank our patrons real quick uh, i want to go over and say thank you to everybody who's supporting us over at patreon.com we did have a new patron this week our new patron is Stephen W. Stephen W., thank you so much for your support uh, of us over at Patreon.com. If you want to support the show, go to Patreon.com slash LegendsCast, and, uh, and you can support us, or you can find a link in the description of this episode. We are going to put out an episode of The Mulligan this week, uh, and I know, DBN, you think we're not, but I thought of a really good idea for it, um, and I'm not okay. going to tell you what it is until the show's <laughs> okay. over, but I, I, I think it's a cool idea. It is card game related. It's card game adjacent, um, right. but it is not... Uh, uh, it's not this and I'm uh, actually maybe I will tell you 
No, because you'll think about it while we're doing this episode. Not a good idea. Okay, so go over there to Patreon. You don't want me to be prepared for our episode? <laughs> no, no, I, I don't want you to be prepared. Okay, okay. So All right. Yeah, let, uh, Patreon.com slash LegendsCast. Uh, visit us there, and uh, and you can support us over there. Thank you to all of our supporters. You guys are awesome, and you let us do what we're doing, which we really appreciate. So thank you guys for doing that and, uh, and enabling us to do what we do here at LegendsCast. You guys are awesome and amazing. Uh, what we're going to do right now is we're actually going to jump into a brand new segment uh we're gonna do a new player segment showtime okay for new players we're going to do some mini segments and probably a few main segments and then we're going to try to kind of pull all those together for a feature episode so if you are a new player you can kind of come and you know tell your friends or whatever who are playing to go and listen to this and this helps you get in but we thought a good place to start would be you open up the game and like a lot of riot games there's multiple currencies there's multiple experience checks there's multiple ways to gain new cards but nowhere in this card game can you go buy a pack of cards and uh if you're coming True. from hearthstone or any number of different digital card games or physical card games you look at this and you're like i remember because one of my friends just got into runeterra and he was like what are these wild cards how do i get cards how do i buy things and it was like oh yeah uh this might be a little bit confusing if you're actually a card game player you might actually have an easier time if you don't play card games but if you do play card games you might come into runeterra and it might be very strange so me and dbn are each going to give just a couple of tips if you are a new player on how to make the most of the beginning of your runeterra experience and sort of capitalize on the resources that are out there because you've probably heard it's a very free-to-play friendly game and it is i have a full collection have spent almost no money on this game that aren't cosmetic so nothing necessary to buy cards and there's a lot of opportunities to be able to get cards in this game and we wanted to make sure you knew how to do that so dbn uh just from your perspective like what is the most important thing for somebody to understand when they're first getting in um and they can be kind of like short and sweet so people can say oh i, I can do these things and and you know sure. get set up well, I think that one of the first things, and I guess approaching this from a new player perspective, um, it's going to be overwhelming. Compared to where the game started, I guess a little over a year ago, uh -huh. The um, there's a lot more on the menu. You know, a we have more, events, yeah. you know, different rewards, things, different play modes. I mean, before, you know, we went from just having, uh, you know, uh, three things, expeditions versus and, you know, AI versus in player two. And now we have challenges uh gauntlet tournament labs leaderboard like even just in the play section there's a lot more options right so i guess the thing that i want to first direct new players to when you're first picking up the game there is so many challenges here mm -hmm. um if you click Great. on the challenges yep. tab it, it it's going to be really easy to skip these but i think it's going to really benefit you just to get an idea of the different types of cards in the game obviously it'll tell you a little bit about the mechanics right but i think that it's really worth looking at the different cards looking at the flavors of the cards the characters and finding something that draws your attention because my first tip is focus on a region yeah that's good when point. you first start out Focus on one region. Now, you will pick up cards from other regions naturally. You can't control what you get out of those boxes. So to a certain extent, it, you may want to wait and see what champions and stuff you pick up before committing to a region. But allow yourself to play what you find interesting. Because on one hand, you want to maximize your the growth of your collection. But on the other hand, you want to enjoy it 
to the point where you're motivated to maximize the growth of your collection. So part of that comes with trying it out the different things that you can do, the different factions, the different champions, because those that's the heart of the game right there. And the best way to do that, I think, is going to be starting with challenges uh, and, and really just learning what all is out there so you can pick that region to kind of focus on. You can start yourself on the region track. We've got some you know, feedback on, and tips on how to maximize your region tracks. But the, just knowing where to start, knowing where to spend your crafting materials to flesh out the decks and the champion strategies and stuff, it all comes down to being familiar with what all is out there, getting acquainted with the game and its content. So... I guess I'd say start with challenges. Plus, you do get a little bit of experience for each one. You get 100 experience just for completing it, and they're quick. Yeah, I think one of the most important things with going in and doing the challenges is it gets you oriented with the keywords because there is a massive number. There is an overwhelming number of keywords in this game. If you are even an avid card game player, there is an overwhelming number of card game or, or keywords in this game. And the keywords are going to be explained largely through going through the challenges. And so go through the challenges and learn those. I'm going to take you on a really quick tour of currency because this is something that's really important uh, to know sort of at the beginning uh, because there's three forms of currency now and we didn't have three forms before. So your first form of currency is going to be coins and this is money that you can actually spend on the game. So this is real money currency. And yes, this currency can be used to get cards, but not in the traditional way of a card game. You're not going to be able to buy packs. You are going to be able to purchase specific cards through the purchase of wild cards. So keep that in mind. Money is not the best way to get cards in this game, and it is actually the least efficient way to get cards in this game. In many ways, it's not a well, it's the most efficient way to get a specific card, but it is going to be very, very expensive if you want to spend real money. The other option is shards. These are going to be the little green things at the top of your home screen. These are what you are going to use to be able to get into expeditions if you want to, to be able to craft cards if you want to. Um, this is sort of the, the vanilla currency of the game, these green shards. And last one, you're going to see red prismatic shards. These shards are going to be used to upgrade a card sort of the holographic or shiny version in this game which is called prismatic it's going to make them a little bit shinier a gold border those sort of things and so that's what those are for and those are new but a lot of people are, what are these red things i've seen this on reddit quite a bit people screenshotting and asking what is the red currency and what is it for in addition to that on your home screen you're going to be some, seeing something in the bottom right hand corner called weekly vault the weekly vault is what you want to level up to get cards each week Every Thursday, you're going to be able to open it up. So it's going to run Thursday to the following Thursday. As you level up this vault, you are going to get better and better rewards. And there is no limit to how many times you can level it up. However, the place that you want to make sure you get it to is at least level five. Because once you hit level five, you are going to get a free champion, the equivalent of a legendary card in another card game, uh, every week. And if you hit level 10, you're going to get a champion wild card. And in a moment, I'll let DBN explain the reward road and what you can do with wild cards. But that's going to be even better. In addition to that, you're going to get a free expedition token, which is basically a free epic pack, which is guaranteed to have at least one epic card and possibly more in it. The higher you go, the better your rewards will get. But you want to make sure you get to that breaking point each week of either five or ten. And if you're worried that that's going to be a lot of grinding, it really isn't. You get on each day, you win a game or two, you complete your quests, which are going to be in the top right-hand corner, and you will always be able to level up to at least five 
probably 10 each week as long as you log on each day and play just a little bit. DBN, why don't you tell a new player about the next best place to get their cards, which is, of course, going to be rewards. Yeah, so the best thing is going to be your region rewards tab. Okay, so if you click down on the left sidebar uh, when you are looking at it, you can click on the rewards, a little scroll there. Uh, and it's important to note, it's it's maybe not quite uh, easy to find right at first, but you should probably have one of them already pre-selected, um, or at least the first time you log in, it may have you choose one. You can switch between them. It is not a commitment. Uh, it's people I've heard a couple people when we first started playing, like, Hey, you know, messaging in the discord, do I have to like hard commit to a road? Can I switch? You can switch at any time you want. Uh, and it's actually wise to do that. And I'll explain why in a minute here. Um, uh, but at the top left of the screen, once you're on the rewards tab, you can click change region. Uh, at the moment of recording, there's nine regions. So you can switch between to the ones that interest you the most. And when you are leveling up that region, you do it through experience, um, so each tier is going to have a different level of experience and it does scale up over time, I think to like a cap of something like, you know, 4,000 yeah, plus that. four or five. Uh, the last one in the thing is like 5,000 and some, I, I, I believe, uh, at level 25, it's, it's 5,000, I think. Um, and some of the region roads go a little bit past that. Um, but at the beginning, it's like 250 experience, which if you guys were paying attention to the last segment, if you just do those challenges, that's a, a hundred right there. Right. Um, and so for each of those little challenges, uh, you'll get a hundred and, and you can kind of contribute to that. Now, uh, you will get experience just from playing the game and playing matches. I think you get a hundred if you win, uh, a, a starting, uh, just like a game. But this is really important. They added this since we started. But the very first PvP win of the day, whether that's in uh, you know, constructed or expedition or whatever, that'll get you 400 XP right away. That's a big batch. And then I believe the second win will get you 200. And then after yeah. that, it'll just be 100 every time you get a win. Yeah, you got uh, and so you obviously a $400 bonus, a two or 400 XP bonus, a 200 XP mm -hmm. bonus, then a 100 XP bonus. So three wins a day mm -hmm. will give you all of your bonus XP from wins if you do it in PvP. Right. Um, and, and you don't have to do it in just constructed. Like we said, you can do an expedition, which expedition is a whole nother way to get stuff. And we can talk about that in a second, you know, but I, I don't want to spend too much time on the region roads thing. But the coolest thing to note and the reason why you would pick one region over another is that the capsules and the uh, chests and stuff that you'll get there uh, and the, the epic cards, champion cards and whatnot, those will be of that region. Normally in your chest, if you open a gold chest, it'll pull from the entire card pool. But if you get a chest or a capsule or whatever from one of these specific regions, it will only give you cards of that region, which will help you fine tune your collection like I talked about earlier. The thing to take note of is because the game has advanced uh, so much and they've added new regions and whatnot, a lot of the uh, roads will have advanced XP stages. So like there'll, there'll be this the first eight, I think, on some of them and 12 on the others. Uh, the older factions uh, levels will have an accelerated growth rate. So you'll get a plus 50% boosted XP. So if you're looking to build your collection out as fast as possible, one of the best things you can do is pay very close attention to your region roads uh, and making sure once you get past that boosted XP range, unless you're really hard committing and really looking forward to that next one, like for instance, on my Demacia track, I think that one might actually just be 
is that eight or 12? It's a 12. I, oh, it's 12 it's to 12. 12. Yeah. On the Demasi one, I, that's the only one I haven't maxed out, right? So like right now I'm working on it and I'm at level eight or nine and up to 12, I'll get that boosted experience. Um, and if you want to go past that and get like the Epic card that's at 13 or the Platinum Chest at 14, obviously you can. We're not telling you you can't stick to the road that you are uh, most excited about for that for that region. But if you really want to optimize, switch between them once you hit those uh, boosted XP thresholds to maximize the bulk number of cards that you add to your collection, which will not focus your collection, but increase it faster so you can play with new things quicker, even if you don't have those kind of completely fleshed out archetypes and that that's what wild cards are for and so you can get wild cards both from the uh end of week chests where sometimes they'll even like randomly upgrade a card uh if it's going to be like if you're going to pull a common it might upgrade it to a common wild card right exactly and in that situation you then uh, won't get a card instantly added to your collection but instead when you're looking at the cards that you don't have you can choose to purchase them either with shards or with money or in the best case scenario with the wild cards. And so if you right click on one of those, actually I think you can, yeah, if you right click on one of those cards, it'll pull up your buying mem uh, menu. So it'll show your ownership, how many copies you have and whatnot. You can choose to prismatic it if you want, but the bigger thing is it'll show you how to purchase it. There'll be the little uh, gold coins with I think like a fist on it. It'll have the shards, which as you know, if you ever get duplicates, well actually you may not know, that's why we're doing this. Uh, if you ever get duplicates, it will turn them into like, I believe a quarter percentage. Yeah, about that of shards. Yeah, like 25% of its value if you craft it into shards. But those shards add up and you can use them to craft other things. Um, but the best thing is those wild cards will allow you to go one for one. If you have a common wild card, you can exchange that common wild card for any one common that you want. End of conversation, no restrictions. Yep. Same, of course, with your rare wild cards, your epic wild cards, and your champion wild cards. Now, they cannot downgrade. You can't take your champion wild card and make it into an epic, but that champion wild card will trade evenly for any other champion wild, any champion in the game. You want to get a champion? Yep. You can use your champion card to do so, champion wild card to do so. Um, interestingly enough, one of the last tabs we'll mention and we'll move on is the store tab. And in the store tab, you're going to find all sort of cos cosmetics that you can use. And in the store tab is where you're going to be able to spend coins, which is real money in the game. If you're in a rush to be able to get something or you need a another copy of a champion or something like that you can use real money to buy coins and go in there under cards and purchase wild cards at a rate of 300 for champions 120 for epics 30 for rares and 10 for comments i do encourage people just to wait and save up you really do not need to spend money on wild cards but if you have a specific deck that you really want to play and you're newer to the game and you're willing to throw a couple of bones at it that is one way that you can do it you can go in here and buy a handful of wild cards in order to craft maybe what you don't yet have even more interesting is once you do craft stuff you are often able to refund those things in the purchases category you can usually go take your wild cards turn them into a champion take a champion wild card turn it into champion and then say you know what i'm going to try this a couple times and then i might want to refund it check out the refund policy to make sure that you're able to do that but you can go over and you can get refunds back so you can actually try out something in this game if you don't like it refund it and grab something else and so that is an That's interesting really thing. interesting i didn't know that Yes. So uh, make sure you take a look at the refund policy. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, oh, it says unused items can be refunded within seven days from purchase. So if you mm, do unused. use it, yeah, if you go and try it out, 
um, it, you're not going to be able to refund it. That's an that. So if you accidentally make one, though, you can get it refunded. Mm, or if you make one and, and that, then you that, change that your was mind always, before you use it, yeah. That was the feature early on in, in Hearthstone and uh, and Tessel that would uh, really make people mad. And I, I had a couple times where I accidentally crafted the wrong thing. Or you were uh, looking at something and you just clicked the button and now it's crafted and you didn't want it. Oh, I didn't want That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like or so like one time I accidentally crafted a uh the premium version in tessel of oh, a legendary yes. and blew like one. three legendaries or four legendaries worth of materials for it and i was so upset i mean it looked really cool but i didn't want it <laughs> yeah so it's interesting that you can do that over in the refunds tab in the store mm-hmm. so unfortunately you can't go try it out but you can uh you know craft what you want and, and if you change your mind you can go there before you've used it and get refunded that's an important thing to take note of i think that's a great look at sort of how you want to get started don't forget your rewards um your challenges your weekly chests um and coming in each day and getting those daily wins Ooh. and those quests done and uh, that's a really great way to build up a collection and of course if you want to spend more money on it you're welcome to it's your money you can do it wh- whatever you want with it we just generally suggest that you can pretty much be a free-to-play player and have a great time in this game and build whatever deck that you want if you just give it a little bit of time absolutely yeah okay why don't we go ahead and jump over to our main segment for the episode time for the main event <laughs> Well, guys, in this main segment, we are now recording on Mondays, which means we're one day before patch day. So typically we would be talking about the patch, which it actually will be live probably the same day that this episode goes out. So but we we thought we would predict and we would talk a little bit. And then it was like we both came up with a similar idea and then it became even more similar and then it became shockingly similar. And now we're going to do the same exact thing. So in this segment, we are going to take a look at Ionia and we are going to each talk about one card from each rarity that we would either buff or rework to make Ionia more viable because we have not been quiet on this this podcast about the fact that we think Ionia needs a lot of help around here uh, a lot of help yeah 100 um, percent it's a situation where you know we don't need to go into the details of it but it's one of the uh, lesser played regions it has the least amount of diversity in the decks that it is played in Agreed. Um. And it has probably the most amount of unusable cards. Uh, actually, in the last, um, in our last week, we had uh, the pain uh, accumulate as many of the statistics from players as he could on certain topics. Uh, Ionia was the uh, tied for the least banned region. Uh, everyone gets to ban one region. Mm-hmm. And Ioni was tied for the least banned region. Interestingly, along with Targon, which I don't think people could argue is the best uh, is the weakest region. Targon's no. very strong. But uh, interestingly enough, as predicted, as people would expect, uh, Ionia was was the least banned, least banned region. And I think for good reason. Even the decks where it premieres in outside of Lee Sen, it just doesn't really make much of an impact and could even be replaced. If you think about like Shin and Fiora, Shin is nice in there, but certainly not necessary, as we've seen from Fiora decks jumping into other factions like frail yard and being just as successful Mm -hmm. um so so we wanted to yeah look at one card from each rarity right yeah one card from each rarity that we would personally buff or completely rework and i have a card from each did you have your common yeah i have my common i'm ready to go with my common and we might actually choose 
we probably won't choose the same one because this is too meta for you. I think this is too I think this is too meta for you. I think you'll choose something that is a little bit more off the beaten path and off meta. This one mm, is probably okay. a slightly unpopular opinion, but the card that I would buff and it's just so simple, but I want it is Shadow Assassin. I would return <laughs> Shadow Assassin from a three mana one two with elusive when I'm summoned draw one to a three mana two two. Um, elusive summon when I'm just a straight up a boring is all heck no rework just uh, an undo a nerf that has already happened to the thing I think that shadow assassin was one of the only what you would consider to be staple the thing that I'm looking at with Ionia right now is they just have so few of cards that are staples and every mm -hmm. other region has sort of staple cards I think that's one of the problems of course we had sh it was like shadow assassin deny and will of Ionia and all of them had gotten hit with the nerf hammer to the point where they really are almost next to unplayable and even less playable now that Sharima does have its own version of like super deny. Um, so my my vote is that I would buff Shadow Assassin. I always liked Shadow Assassin and never even had a problem with Shadow Assassin because so often it was played as an elusive blocker and also for draw. And I like that about it. And it could push a little bit of damage, but it was never super oppressive. I think they've nerfed the other elusives around Shadow Assassin assassin enough that we could see shadow assassin buffed back up plus there's plenty of vulnerable stuff that was before we had a lot of vulnerable there's plenty of vulnerable stuff there's plenty of removal now shadow assassin give it back to me as a three mana two two that's what i'm on the hype train for i would love to see that three mana two two shadow assassin dbn how about you do you have a common card that you would like to see uh changed reworked buffed made it make it stronger? yeah yes uh so here's the thing i have always thought from the beginning of Ionia's presence in this game, the strongest thing that they had was elusives. Um, and it was for a good reason. There wasn't as much removal out there. There wasn't as much elusives in factions that weren't trying to win off of elusive. So, you know, there were a lot of factions that would say, Hey, I just don't have access to any elusive cards. Therefore I have no natural blockers. I either have to go into another faction to get elusive, which now is circumvented pretty heavily. There's a lot more factions that have just casual cards that seem to have elusive printed on it for some reason. Um, and there's also a lot more removal. And in fact, uh, factions like Freljord now have a lot more like AoE removal, which is good for those weaker elusive creatures, right? But one of the biggest things that enabled the elusive creatures that I think like goes forgotten these days, but was actually the first round of uh, nerfs, was the hand buffing mechanic. Yeah, uh, that and as I on. think about Ionia's presence in this game, the thing that frustrates me the most about Ionia is that its entire, I, the only effective identity that it has is in spells. Now, I think that that's important. Ionia in the lore is a land suffused in primal magic. I think it makes a lot of sense that spells are a key part of their identity. But the best factions, or rather the best design factions, have multiple identities. If you go and look at Freljord, right, you have the whole freeze package and the, the different Avarosans that are, are doing things with, you know, freezing or or being, uh, you know, sentries and guards and stuff like that, trappers, whatever, like that, that frigid wildlife thing. They're out there in, in the wild, right? You have situations where you've got like 
Um, ramp is one of its the, other identities. Like ramp is a major identity. In yeah, failure. you have the ramp and, you know, things like the, you know, uh, what's it, Anivia and stuff. But you also have these pillagers that work with Sejuani, right? They go off of plunder and Vikingy stuff, right? And so, like, <laughs> you can dip into those other things. What I don't like about Ionia is that it doesn't seem like any of those uh, supporting mechanics are any good. And in fact, some of them like hand buffing, which naturally made elusives a lot more frustrating uh, at the time, hand buffing has gone way, way down and skills to the point where most of the cards that hand buff are pretty darn bad. Yes, I, I would totally so, agree with that. Yeah, what's your what's your buff then? So my buff couple. is... Right, there are a couple in here. My buff is actually going to be to Aspiring Mentor. Here's the thing. Aspiring Mentor used to say grant an ally in hand plus one plus one. It got nerfed because giving elusives an extra point of defense was pretty darn difficult to deal with. It was also really good with cards like Zed. Now, I'm fine with Zed being good. Yeah, I agree. I'm okay with Zed being good. I just need ways to deal with Zed. And there are more ways to deal with Zed now than ever before. Um, and so in this case, I'm actually I'm actually fine with this. So I would like to see Aspiring Mentor do one of two things. I'd either like to see it be back to its normal plus one plus one. Mm -hmm. Or I would like to say, I would like to say, give each ally in hand plus one attack. Ooh. If you play it on turn one the average amount of creatures you're going to have it in hand is like two. Yeah, okay. So it's not like you're getting massive, massive value in it. But the issue with this card for a long time was, uh, the way it is now, um, you playing on turn one, it doesn't really match up to a lot of the other one-drops out there, which have just massively ramped in power, by the way, between Absolutely. Jagged Butcher, Dune Keeper. Like, the one-drops are way stronger. Let's give Ionia a very potent board-centric one-drop. So Aspiring Mentor will become so much more effective after turn one and also not only help with the hand buffing for units like Fiora, I guess, sure, but Fiora is a whole other cup of tea, but things like Zed and whatnot. Um, but it can also be really good for the strategy that they seem to kind of half want to push with like Field Musician and the, uh, uh, what is it called? Keeper of Masks of this like, oh, give lots of allies, get a lot of cheap things down, right? With Navori Highwaymen, you know, summon a random or summon an extra guy with his stats. So like, there's a lot of interesting things that I would love to see where Ionia was buffing each other and kind of playing more into the whole, like we are monks who are training up new younger monks, right? I think mm -hmm. that that is a... Um, kind of theme that I can really get behind. So I want to see inspiring mentor say, "Give all allies in hand plus one attack." Yeah, I I uh, I like it. I like it. Uh, he definitely needs a buff. So aspiring Men insp inspiring mentor and uh, and then shadow assassin are the two cards. Probably don't buff both of them um, at the same time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the good news is if you buff mentor and you play him, the shadow assassin goes back to normal. So. <laughs> that's true that's Goes true back to two -two. that's true okay so mine for the rare is going to start mm -hmm. on my chain of cards uh that are going to be in a similar vein and, and you're going to be able to guess just for me saying that what i'm going to be doing over the next couple of rarities but that's fine with me my buff is a one that has been suggested multiple times it's nothing new it's nothing surprising it is for Yon Windcrasher or Wind Chaser. Sorry, not Wind Wow, Wind Chaser. 
Seven mana, six, six, play stun two enemies. I want a simple change to this. Seven mana, six, six, or an eight mana, six, six, for that matter. Um, play, you know what? Here's what I want it to be. An eight mana, six, six, with quick attack that reads play, stun, an enemy, and add a Yasuo to your hand from your deck. Um, I want this to be the tutor for Yasuo. I don't mind it being a little bit more mana. I don't mind him, uh, you know, uh, not being able to stun quite as many things. Um, but I want him to have quick attack so that that way he he makes sense because he's like the you know he's the counterpart to Yasuo. And I want him to pull the Yasuo from the deck. Now I think that these guys are kind of like sworn enemies in the lore in some capacity. Um, so I think it's kind of cool that well, one they're brothers. would they're brothers, and I, I think they fight one another in some in some they way. Do. I don't really yeah. know much about the lore, but they're they're brothers, and this might be during an era in which they were friends and even if it's not it's kind of cool that like yona yona it's the board and uh out of nowhere right now now yas was right behind him right because he's tracking him down or whatever um i really like it that is the change that i want to see i want this is once again it's not surprising my next two i think will be way more surprising and way more fun this isn't surprising but i think it's a buff that needs to happen in this region give me a way to add one of these champions to my hand and i want to add Yasuo to my hand. Give me a better way to play Yasuo. So Yone is my suggestion. Uh, and I don't know if it's pronounced Yone or Yone. I cannot remember. I think it's Yone. I think it is Yone. Uh, Yone, that's what it is in TFT anyway. So I'm sure that's what it is here. Um, Yone. And uh, and honestly, I would be perfectly okay. Get rid of Yone um, and give us another card because I would love to see Yone as a champion. Um, you could actually rework Yone to the point where it's the same thing. Give it a new name and make it two to Yasuo. I'd be happy with that as well um, because I I actually do want to see Yone be a card, a, a champion. I'm not sure why he's just a card, because uh, he is a champion in, in LOR. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my one. You mean my LOL? Rare. LOL, yeah, not in LOR, in LOL. Okay. I didn't actually know that, that he was a champion in LOL. Yeah, he and Senna are both champions uh, in LOL. And uh, oh, okay. came in this game as cards, but are both very cool champions, actually, yeah. and would make really cool champion cards. Um, just haven't seen those yet. So, yeah. Right. Well, okay. that gives them flexibility going forward, I guess. Yeah, I think it does. And it does show it evidence that there may be a time that we get like a Yasuo card that isn't a champion, which could be cool. Yeah. You know, or something like so, that. So, yeah. So my my rare here uh, is a complete rework. And it may not go off of the theme of the card. I'm not really sure what the theme of the card is supposed to be. Um, but uh, the one I want to pick, because I'm looking at cards and I'm seeing like, in the rare category, there's a lot of spells, but I think that there's a lot of cards that, even though they may not be strong, they're doing what they're intended to do, even if they're not doing it well. Like, they could be buffed, but not necessarily reworked, right? Yeah. There's only, like, two or three cards in here that I'm like, yes, this needs a rework because just the core concept of this isn't doing it. And the one that I want to see reworked is Zephyr Sage. Zephyr Sage? <laughs> okay that's a that's all the reaction i needed okay. to prove my point yep. uh, okay <laughs> found it yeah so zephyr sage currently is a six mana four four that says play create an exact copy of a card in hand other than zephyr sage okay um so the idea with zephyr sage in principle i believe is going to be like you can hand buff something really high and then create a copy of it or you could create a copy of a really important spell that you want to duplicate and get extra spells, right? The problem is it's super slow. You don't have a lot of stats for six mana 
And even though you create a copy of something, if that's something that you really want to play, you just spent six mana and didn't play it. Right. Mm -hmm. My recommendation for Zephyr Sage would be to say, play, uh, create a exact copy of Zephyr Sage. Okay. Um, and I don't know if that works thematically, but what I want is another Navori Brigand card. Uh, I want another payoff for hand buffing. If you're sensing a trend, you're you're correct. Going the um, hand buff route here, okay. I want to see hand buff because I was thinking about this. Yes, you run the risk of it making elusives really strong, but there's more elusives than ever before. I think it can be countered. There's also more like whirlwind effects and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and at the point in the game, uh, like later in the game, I would like to see them provide payoff cards for buffing throughout the game, right? So you could also combine it with something like Freljord, which will buff both the hand and the deck, or Xenotype Researchers, which can pull champions, which you can buff, and then keep buffing them in hand. Like I think there's enough synergy there for Iona to, Ionia to start seeing play in the proactive board presence arena. Because right now, even the decks that you play them in that care about the board, they're either being like farmed out for one or two cards or uh, Lee Sin is sitting back and waiting and waiting and waiting. And you're playing your, uh, you know, your three, your one, three that summons dragon links and sitting back and waiting and not engaging and healing and just throwing those little dragon links in. I want an Ionia list to feel proactive. And I think that the way to do that is providing payoff cards. So Zephyr Sage to me is one of the, you know, the the more criminal cards in here of the ones that just never see play. I mean, you could look at Usari and say the same thing, but it's elusive and challenger, so it's at least interesting. You can also look way at Cloud Drinker. Uh, but Cloud Drinker to me, like you look at that and you're like, it wants to make your cards cheaper. In theory, that's interesting. It's just an execution. It's not. But Zephyr Sage isn't interesting. Creating an exact copy of a card in hand. Now, obviously. You could argue that like maybe it just it's too expensive, right? Maybe you need to make it a four mana four four that does what it does. But then I'd worry that it's going to start doing silly things for other factions. Like if a card that can create a copy of any other card is cheap, then it's going to be abused. So I'd rather just go ahead and rework it so that it does something unique, but that requires more synergy. So for me, creating an exact copy of Zephyr Sage would be interesting, kind of like the Navori Brigand angle. But you could also do something where, like, um, I'm trying to think, like, not necessarily like kind of like a Spectral Matron kind of card, where you like you can play the Zephyr Sage and then summon a copy of a, you know, maybe a, a of a car of a, a creature with six or less cost. Or, or something or less cost. And so then if you've been buffing it, then you're getting above average stats because you've been buffing a cheaper card and something like that. So I don't know. Uh, this one wasn't exactly a, a, a perfect buff suggestion. But the bottom line buffer is... Buffer rework. Buffer rework. Buffer rework. And Zephyr Sage to me is the one that stands out as like the, the one that's going to be the target. So I want to find a way for Zephyr Sage to create copies of things, but have them see the board quicker. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, let's move on to epics. Um, there is a lot of options when it comes to Ionia with epics. Uh, a lot of options. You have even, go get it, 
field musicians, Shadow Flare, uh, the Empyrean, the big dragon, Mina Swiftfoot, Singular Will, Dragon's Rage on its own, Ren Shadowblade, plenty of cards that could see a rework. Honestly, every single one of them, with the exception of Eye of the Dragon. Am I right about that? Every single one of them is bad, except for Eye of the Dragon. Uh, <laughs> you could argue that the Empyrean is, isn't bad. If like, it's just a big, elusive get unit. It off it's of also a dragon. Um, if you get it off of Egg Snatcher, maybe. Um, and I guess Windfair Hatchling was good at one point um, in the yep. elusive packages. But right now, Eye of the Dragon. So mine is the card that hit the ground uh, at a just absolutely dead. It fell over, heart attack, never got back up. And that is Monastery of Hirana. H-I-R-A-N-A, Hirana. Um, it sure. is the Ionia Landmark, cost three mana. A round start, create a sanctuary in hand. Sanctuary is a focus speed Recall an ally and it's fleeting And it costs one mana This card was garbage It still is garbage It's always going to be garbage My way to make it not garbage Is to not make it create sanctuary Instead make it create a At the start of round start Create a fleeting guile in hand um, This guile is the one mana Noxus card um, That uh, whenever you play it Wait it, so it, Ionia card is going to generate a Noxus card? Yes it is This is going to generate a no This is an Ionia card that is going to generate a noxus card because noxus shouldn't have the one mana stun ionia should and you can't <laughs> and, and you can't make it round start create a steel tempest in hand because steel tempest only stuns attacking creatures so the thing the time it would 50 percent of the time it wouldn't matter that it created it and you can't make it, it create a non-fleeting because that's too but, powerful but but steel tempest is still pretty good because you can respond to an open swing and Guile can't respond to an open swing. So generating a steel tip. I, I see what you're saying though. Like if, where if it, like on your turns there, maybe you just don't, I don't know. Yeah. But maybe, maybe it feels weird to generate a, a Noxus card off of an Ionia card, but I, I like the idea of you wanting to play towards stun. Yes. Okay. I, I, I agree. It is weird. And maybe it does create a steel tempest instead or an Ionian copy of Guile. Um, oh, give me, oh, what about, Sorry. I, I love the idea of it generating something else. And I just thought of one that I think I'd really like. What's that? The uh, um, crap. Hold on. I'm going to find it. I wasn't. Is it well, obscure? Eh, sort of. Not really. Claws of the dragon. What if it generated claws of the dragon? It's like a monkey thing, right? Not monkey isn't a monkey, but like a monk ish thing. And claws of the dragon's like a monk. What if you uh, had a fleeting claws of the dragon? So you had to play two spells to get it out. Play two spells, you get a free unit every turn. I like that. And it goes with the two spells thing. Okay, I'm fine with Claws of the Dragon. I'm also fine with <laughs> it creating a fleeting guile in hand. Um, but I my my vote was really I want to see it generate a stun. Um, I want to see this go with the stun package. I think it, even if it created a the problem is is that right, it has to create something fleeting. If you just generated Steel Tempest every turn on your opponent's turn, you'd always be able to double Steel Tempest, which is just too too nuts, just way too bonkers. So I think it needs to create, and I don't Sanctuary isn't even a real card, so if you want to create, you know, a one-mana slow-speed fleeting stun and call it, you know, 
palm strike or something, feel free to. Um, oh, Naked yeah. Ionia, you can create something here. But a slow, fleeting, one-mana stun. Um, and because you would put fleeting on it, you could call it something different than Guile. But basically, the equivalent of Guile in Ionia is fine with me. But a one-mana slow speed stun, I think, would be far better in the package because it just says to your opponent, if you don't open attack... I'm going to stun something on your board. And then on my turn, I'm always going to get a stun in hand. So as long as this is on the board, I get to disable for one mana. I get to disable one of your defenders every round. So it makes you want to get rid of this. I think that that's really interesting and not overpowered because it doesn't create something in hand that you can respond with to the open attack, which is something that I would actually be a little bit worried about. Um, and it also would still create fleeting cards. You have to use them the turn that you get them, which I also think is interesting and so that's my suggestion that uh, i wouldn't be against claws of dragon i just didn't think that one thing out uh, i think an equivalent ionian uh guile created off of the monastery of hirana uh is what i would go with so that's my suggestion for the epic rework dbn you have a field a wide open field here to choose any card that you want from the epics to buff and i'm curious to know which one you want and why is it singular will uh, it's not singular will. Okay. It's not singular will. Uh, sorry, sorry to disappoint. Uh, that is a pretty obnoxiously bland, boring, and bad card. But welcome to Ionia. Yes, you know? you've made it. <laughs> um, okay, so I had a couple thoughts on this. Um, the issue is I can certainly see that there's a very strong visual theme with a lot of cards and just like with the last one with like Zephyr Sage, I'm trying to, I'm like trying to break away from the visual themes a little bit, you know, uh, or like by, we're not trying to, but it, you know, inadvertently I'm picking the bad cards and wanting them to be something else. Uh huh. Right. But there's two things that stand out to me. The first was monastery. Sure. And since you picked monastery, I'll go to my second one. But the thing I wanted with monastery was a round start hand buff. Oh, that's interesting. Because if you had round start, give your lowest cost or lowest statted creature uh, plus one, plus one. Yeah. Or plus one, plus two. Or plus two, plus one. And you'd have to figure out the, the, the numbers, you know, and that's what the devs are paid all that much money for. You'd have to figure out the numbers. But the idea would be like, again, I really love the concept of these monks you know distributing their wisdom to their pupils yes that's uh -huh. what the inspiring mentor does that's what a monastery does and when you look at the art of the card i really i you know you see this one monk who's kind of like crouched there on on this uh on these poles another one seems to be training and practicing one's meditating that's hand buff like that translates thematically into a mechanic uh so i would love to see monastery of, Her of hirana do just that yeah that's a cool idea i like that as well uh, flip side, the card in here that makes me the maddest is Silent Shadow Seer. Yeah, that was my second one to fix. So go ahead. I'm, yeah, I'm Silent Shadow Seer just sucks. It's elusive, which I already, you know, y'all know how I feel about elusive. Like, I think it's a mechanic that is the way I don't hate the idea of not being able to block, but I hate the idea of things not being able to block for forever. You know, I would love to see it go to a Hearthstone or Tesla style where it only lasts until it attacks or maybe it only lasts for the turn you summon it. Either way, 
elusive's in a weird spot where I don't want to buff anything that's elusive. Now, granted, I know I'm saying buff hand buff, but that's because I think that there's enough ways to deal with elusive slash. If you're careful with where you put the hand buffs, if you only buff the attack stats, elusives will do more damage, but they're just as easy to kill in counterplay. So, you know, um, just bear that bear that in mind. But Silent Shadows here to me is a card that it wants to be like this Shadow Ninja creating, you know, copies. It's an ephemeral card, right? But the Nexus Strike requirements are really putting a damper on this card. Now, I like the ephemeral strategies. I like Zed and his Shadow Assassins and how they play with uh, like Shadow Isles. I still Agreed. every once in a while will bust out the death mark, you know, deck that is playing Zed and his duplicates and Hecarim and then like the the three mana five five with lifesteal and ephemeral and trying to death mark that so that sticks around their best thing dies. So I want Silent Shadows here to be a little bit better with that, right? Or with that archetype. Um the only issue is I don't really know how to achieve that. You take away ephemeral, uh, and all of a sudden this card is like completely broken. You take away elusive, and this card is completely unusable, right? But even when you play it as is, uh, even if you're hitting the nexus, and by the way, with one defense, it's so easy to kill this thing, so it never hits the nexus and becomes a dead, you know, card that you know you create a copy. This dies, and you have to keep spending two man every turn to get a mediocre creature that won't stick around you know if you're uh only doing three damage every turn every other turn that's the thing because it has no like viability on defense because it's not going to connect with the nexus strike you can't really play it as a blocker so um my suggestion to this card and a fix to this card would be um strike create a copy of me in hand yeah okay i like it i like it i like it because I like the idea of, you know, these ephemeral things and, you know, you could potentially do something where you, uh, if, if you death mark this guy, uh, remove the ephemeral off of it, you've still got the elusive, you could keep striking uh, and, and keep generating more copies and this base one would keep living until they dealt with it, right? But I also wish that this card, which has the potential to be really interesting as a forever looping creature that isn't that good, but can serve a lot of purposes. It's lack of ability to block is the problem with it. But if you put it down on defense and you say, hey, as long as I get this to hit something in a trade, I'll get a, the copy back, right? Um, so I would like to see this card just go down to strike, create a copy of me in hand. Okay, simple, I, I, simple change, but I think it would make this card significantly more playable. I have a way to make this a little bit more complex and even more fun. It is okay, a I'm down for it. three mana, three one with elusive ephemeral that reads strike create an exact copy of me in hand that costs one less so oh. then you get a two mana three one that strikes that makes a one mana that strikes that makes a zero mana so you can actually work well, these things down to being zero mana three ones with elusive ephemeral strike create an exact copy of me in hand well well, well you would want you 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 either would want it to say to not reduce in cost and say exact or you'd want it to reduce in cost and not say exact because oh, what you okay, wouldn't want yes. is somebody throwing a buff on this, yes, hitting, right. creating a cheaper, still elusive unit. But I like both ideas. I can definitely see the idea of like, oh, with hand buff, if you took the 
Oh, if you took, um, oh man, now we're now we're completely changing. It. But let's say that you took uh, if uh, elusive off of this card. Yes, you kept ephemeral. So let's say you had a one mana three one ephemeral elusive. Oh, elusive. Okay. Oh, sorry, ephemeral. ephemeral one mana yeah. three one ephemeral. Uh, and it said strike. Uh, create an exact copy of me in hand. That's interesting as well. Yeah, I think that fits. Maybe the you'd theme. Have to, it might have to be a two one. It might have to be a two one. Okay. Yeah. Create an exact copy of me in hand. And then for the rest of the game, you can spend your hand buffing, strengthening the Shadow Seers, which as long as they keep striking, will keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. Now, they're not elusive, so you can't keep throwing it at face, but they are ephemeral. So you only get that temporary benefit out of them, but you could start them as early as turn one, get it down, block something, and not lose the card. Now, you don't keep board presence, but you don't lose the hand presence. Mm-hmm. But it still will, it, if anything, it's kind of like a better version of recall because it could come back to receive more buffs because it'll maintain the buffs throughout the course of the game. Yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of like a it's win kind of like strategy an early in game. Of itself. Yeah, it's like an early game, you know, and, and there's going to be plenty of times where people can kill it before it strikes. And that's good. You want counterplay for an engine card. I mean, this is really, this would be an engine. Yeah. Right. In that, like, you are leveraging the ability of this card as long as you can keep it striking, it'll keep growing, keep growing, and eventually the opponent will have to respect it. Yeah, and then this actually gives you a reason to play this deck with Demacia to get like single combats in case they go yeah. to remove your Shadow Seer and you can single combat with it instead. Oh, that would be so and get cool. Get a copy of it back to hand, and it's just like, oh, okay, yeah. you're trying to kill me. I'll go strike this thing and disappear back to hand, and then come back out. I think there's some cool stuff that could be done there with this with the yeah, hand buffing I mean, specifically. And- and yeah, and and if you hand buff, but you can also like buff it on board with things. And mm-hmm. when it strikes, you'll get an exact copy, so it'll maintain the stats. Very cool, you know? as well. Yeah, and yeah, and then you know, obviously, because the defensive stats would be like I- ideal, people will start like branching out and playing, uh, you know, buffs in Ionia, which before with Ionia, you tend to either play like just a couple defensive buffs to get by, so that your Lee Sin doesn't die. Otherwise, you're playing resource extension or survival cards. You could also mix it with P and Z and try to get some of the stuff that is going to give it additional keywords and then play some of the cards that benefit from your other things having keywords Um, because you could give this thing elusive and first strike and some different keywords that would allow it to keep returning to hand and coming back with those keywords, which could be cool. There's there's options, although it clearly is best in a hand buff version. I think that's interesting. So we're talking about the final, or I think our, our, if if I can speak for both of us, our our f- proposed final version of Silent Shadows here as a, as a duo here. Yes, we would take off Elusive. Yes, we would erase Nexus. Yes, and we would add Exact. And are we also dropping it copy. to a one mana two one, or are we leaving it as a two mana three one? We could leave it as a two three two mana three one. We could drop it to a one mana two one. I was thinking that like I would like again Ionia to have more good one drops, if for no other reason than there's so many other good one drops out there. I mean, literally, Sharima just got three playable one drops at the beginning of its expansion. Yes, uh huh. You I know, agree. um. And uh, I also think that, like, if that was the case, then this might lend a lot more credence to cards like Field Musician. Mm-hmm. You know, where if you're keeping creating copies of this one-drop thing that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger as you go throughout the game, assuming they don't deal with it, because, again, 
I don't want this card to run away with the game. I just want it to, you know, force the opponent onto their back foot a little bit. Yeah, you I know, agree. Be proactive enough that your opponent has to start respecting Ionia's team-based board. Like, like I love the idea of Ionia's approach to combat is team-based. They're training up those those you know peasants, training up those youngsters into monks, and getting them out there and 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 doing different cool tricks and stuff. It definitely feels very ninja slash you know monastery monk vibe of like, hey, you know, we're gonna work together as a temple to defend our land. Like, I like that, mm-hmm. you know, I agree. Very Mulan, you know, so I, I, like I would love too. to see that that change. Cool. Not that that will happen. Cool. But it's no, just if we had really our cool way, if we had our way, <laughs> we would do this. Well, let's move yes. on. Let's move on to uh, let's move on to champions. And my champion is not going to be a surprise. Who do you think my champion is? It's gonna be Yasuo. Yeah, it's gonna be Yasuo. Okay, so I thought about this uh like for 15 minutes, and I came up with a couple of different Yasuos, but I came up with one that I like the most because it's thematic. Okay, so Yasuo is right now four mana, four four quick attack. When you stun or recall an enemy, deal two damage to it. You've stun or recall five plus units, you level up, he becomes a four mana five five with quick attack. When you stun or recall an enemy, strike it. I actually like all of that. I just don't think that Yasuo's payoff at level up is enough because it forces him to go into combat still in order to win the game. So in LOL, Yasuo's ultimate ability is he targets somebody, knocks them up into the air, and then strikes them over and over again with the sword while they're up in the air and then pummels them into the ground. And I love that. And what I want to see is them do the same thing to the enemy nexus. So how I would rework Yasuo is a four mana four fourth quick attack. Same exact thing. He would level up on five stunned or recalled units. Um, he would deal two damage to units that he recalled. And then he would have the same exact thing when he levels up. Four mana five five with quick attack that he strikes any enemies that is stunned or recalled. However, it would also say this. Once you have slain either three or four enemies, it's hard to say, I think three. Once you have slain three enemies and have a little counter zero out of three because we have the slate keyword now i strike the enemy nexus so every time you slay three things with yasuo either through attacking or through stunning stuff and he strikes them he would then go and deal five damage to the enemy nexus so he would go and he would attack the enemy nexus with his sword several times it could be a really cool little animation and then he becomes a win end game win strategy in and of himself because he can push that extra damage so if you can't win the game you can keep stunning your opponent's stuff clearing their stuff off the board with the Yasuo through the slay, and then you would be able to strike the enemy's nexus to end the game that way. Or buff him up to be able to strike a couple of things, clear them off, and then strike the enemy nexus. I think that's a really cool thought. I I don't know. Maybe it's not, maybe it isn't actually powerful enough. It's definitely a buff to Yasuo, and I think Yasuo has always been in this delicate place where if he gets pushed over, he's no fun to play against at all. Um, And this could push him to that point. It's not an enormous rework, but I I think it makes his leveled up version a lot more interesting and it gives you more reason to level him up because you could consistently strike the enemy nexus for that five points of damage um you love yas or you used to love yas anyway uh any thought on that rework uh dbn you know i think what you said right at the end there is the is important like yasuo is very interesting but he's either completely un like unplayable 
or he's at least decent and literally no fun to play against, like agonizing to play against. I mean, I know three people who all just swear up and down that they auto can see when they play Yasuo, not because he's strong, but because they drive them nuts. Yes. Like Yasuo is infuriating because you feel like you can't play the game. That's true. So, so I love, I see that this, the issue with me with it comes to champs is every, it's really important that the champs match what they do in LOL from an identity perspective, you know? Um, and, and, you know, and just from branding, just for the purposes of branding. So, like, it's helpful that you kind of know what these guys do. And I was kind of at a loss. I look at this list and I say, that well, the one that I want to change the most because it's probably played the least at this point uh, is Karma. Now, Lulu isn't played a whole lot, but we actually talked about before the show how, you know, Lulu is at risk of becoming a a really broken character outside of Ionia if it becomes pushed anymore, if the card itself becomes pushed anymore. Um, you know, imagine Lulu just coming down as a three mana three, three that will buff a, a sand soldier or, or, you know, anything else up to four, four stats. I mean, you know, even just adding a single point on either of its stat blocks could potentially really mess with Lulu, much less buff its abilities at all or, or her protection. Right. So like Lulu is scary to me. I wouldn't even want to, mess with lulu i i'm this is where like i'm saying you know what devs y'all can mess with this you can take her into testing and and really dive into it because this isn't one that i can think i can game out in my head there's just too many moving factors you know sure but karma to me is the card that i look at and i just say this was awful to play against but it now, it, after it went to six mana, it's hardly ever played. And when it is, it's usually strictly worse than something else out there. So how do we fix that, right? Like, how do we how do we improve the idea of like, hey, Karma is this like super powerful spellcaster. Mm-hmm. And she can literally double your spells. That's cool. But it also can be broken. Right. And, and and also just feel infuriating to to be like, well, karma's at, you know, max level. Now I don't get to do anything. She's a really so, difficult character to play around. Here's my proposal for karma. Okay. And I, I'm ready I'm for pretty it. sure, pretty sure it's the exact same proposal I made before karma got nerfed in the first place. And that would have been a while ago. That would have been a while ago. I, and I still stand by it. Karma should be a four drop. Okay. And do the exact same thing she does now. Okay. At level one. At level one. Okay. And at level two, she says the first spell you play this turn is doubled. Is doubled. Cast again the same targets. Yep. I, the I first agree. spell. Um, and if you really want to go overkill and push karma for a season, you allow karma's round end effect to continue at level two. That's yes. the original recommendation I meant I, I had was keep her at five mana, allow her level two ability to uh, or level one ability to transfer to level two, and then she gets the added bonus of doubling the first spell. Not every spell, the first one. I love that. I love that rework for Karma. I love that rework. I, I think it's excellent. I think it's a really great rework. Rework and it's her. simple. You know, mm-hmm. you don't really have to. I mean, I'm saying take it down to four mana. You don't have to. You can leave it at, 
you can put it to down to five. I think I think you should put it down to five. But I think four would be okay if Karma comes back for a season. The cool thing is, it's not going to be because Karma is, you know, duplicating seven uh, mystic shots and a, mm-hmm. you know, and and five uh, mushroom clouds. It's going to be because they're playing a very specific spell and allowing it to go off twice uh, at l- turn ten, and that's assuming that Karma lives that long. Allowing it to come down a little bit earlier is cool. I mean, you're generating random cards, anyways. Like, I don't know. I think that that could be okay. Now, could Karma Lee Sin be a problem if you can curve Karma into Lee Sin? Maybe, but I actually don't think so because you're generating those spells. But if you drop Karma as a four drop before you drop Lee Sin, you don't have a ton of spell mana to work with on the turn that you play Lee Sin. Probably not. No. So I think it would. I think it would be okay. Plus, you know, you can't buff Zed. You could argue Shin should get a rework, but I think Shin is flavorful as Shin is. Maybe not strong, but I happen to know like that's that is what Shin does is grant barriers. So yeah, like, uh, why yeah. change that? It's flavorful. Yeah, he protects Lulu, people. I he just, taunts. He does taunt as well in the in the in LOL. But and that could that could be interesting. His primary thing is called I think it's Stan United, and he can teleport from across the map to anybody, any one of his allies, and he gives them a huge shield as he teleports to them, which is very close to kind of what he does in this game so it's well and you have that that six mana card that allows you to switch places and give a barrier which i think is directly related yeah stand united yeah stand united yeah Mm -hmm. you swap two allies give them both barrier yeah um i do want to say just like as a bonus little thing here just talking about yasuo because like i looked at yasuo and i was like i i loved yasuo for a time but then I started feeling bad playing it because I realized how bad it was to play against it. So now my question is, how do we how do we make Yasuo still flavorful and interesting relating to the stun mechanic, but so that it doesn't feel absolutely miserable? And I think that we need to find a way to take the dealing damage to the things you stun out of the equation. Interesting. You need another payoff. Like I, I'm, I am here for the idea of stunning and recalling enemies. I'm not here for the idea of then also killing them, right? Because it's like that double whammy. You don't get to play with your things. You, you know, you play a creature and you're like, oh boy, can't wait to see this creature do some cool stuff, and then it gets stunned three turns in a row and dies, and you never got to do anything with it, right? Yeah, that doesn't feel good. I'll admit. So I think that if it was a situation where the Yasuo deck, and, and I'm coming from a, a, a place of experience here. So there was uh, in um, in L5R, old Legend of the Five Rings. I was a Crane Clan player, I you know, and that was my clan. So anytime I went to tournament, I played the Crane Clan. The Crane Clan was good at a couple things, but the main things were uh, court politics and dueling, right? Um, and there was a specific court politics deck where this whole strategy was it was trying to accumulate a certain amount of this resource. And once it, you know, anyone, it was a game mechanic. Once you accumulate enough family honor, you would win the game. Right. Um, kind of like inverse health total. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to accumulate enough family honor to win the game. Crane is really good at that. So, okay. How do I do that? Well, if my opponent is trying to like, burn down my villages i need to keep them away 
And I can do that through my court politics of censuring people or the emperor summoning someone to court so that they can't go to the battlefield, things like that. So I'm using all my political tricks to say, stay home, go home, you know, uh, bow before the emperor and not go to battle today. The issue was it was very, very potent for the first three or four turns when your opponent was still building a board. But because you weren't killing the things on their board, it was a bit of a race against time. I had to reach my uh, honor objective before my opponent's board reached a critical mass with which I would run out of tools to stop them all from attacking me or killing me. It was a balancing act. And I I'm not saying that Yasuo should have an instant win condition or anything like that, but I'm saying I think the interesting element of Yasuo in conjunction with stun would be having an ability that maybe either attacked the Nexus or like dealt damage to the Nexus or an ability that would buff him or potentially uh, like permanently, maybe permanently uh, reduce like the attack stat of the things that he stuns or something, but that would preserve the opponent's board integrity such that they could still uh, continue to snowball their board and not just have things be picked off as they go. Because if you can stun, if all you have to do as Yasuo is stun two things a turn, chop them down, and then the next turn, find ways to stun two more things, that's very sustainable. But if you're going from, I only have to stun one or two things a turn to, I have to stun six things a turn or else these things are still alive and still growing. I think that's a much more interesting way to play that the opponent feels like they have more agency. They're like, hey, I've still got these guys, you know? Like, I've still got them. Maybe, ooh, ooh, maybe he can challenge stunned units. Yeah, the challenge stunned units? I like yeah, that. Yeah, he's got quick attack. Yeah, you know? I like so, that. So if you stun, if he stuns, you know, you stun a unit, he can challenge it. And then maybe you do with what you were saying, which is the leveled up ability would be uh, when uh, you stun a unit, deal damage to the Nexus, or when a, a stunned unit is destroyed, I get bigger, or when a stunned or, unit... Or maybe just when Yas was on the board, he could, so he, he levels up, but when Yas was on the board, creatures that are stunned also have vulnerable. Sure, yeah, you could you could write it like that. Yeah. I think the idea would be like, it would be kind of part of the same thing where like, uh, Yasuo stuns and then strikes them down. You know, like I like the idea of like Yasuo being the one that can go and pull the stunned guys. Cause I think if, if it was everything, that would be a little bit intimidating. But, but no doubt, like the leveled up ability would need to find a new way to, to engage with that. But I, I've been really impressed with Renekton, right? And the idea of like, you know, encouraging interaction with your opponent's board, right? And, and, and pro you profiting off it. Now, I'm not saying Renekton is super strong, but he's super interesting. I think Yasuo could be similar, where instead of Yasuo sitting at home and being a stay-at-home champ, he's he's a dang swordsman. Get him in the fray, you know? Mm -hmm. Allow him to use that quick attack, uh, you know, to, you know, benefit. Because most of the time, people will hide him at home knowing that, hey, I don't want to deal, I don't want to risk any tricks coming out, you know, and and hurting my Yasuo because I need him to sit on the bench and stun and stun and chop and chop and chop. You know, uh, so I, I think that, yeah, I think that that would be really or you could do something where like, uh, yeah, I, I think the challenger thing, maybe at, maybe at second level, he gets double attack or something. I don't know. 
I, I think he is interesting, and I think you could actually combine the ideas and just say, you know, level a uh, level up at five units are stunned or recalled. If a unit is stunned while Yas was on the board, they also have vulnerable um, sure. because it allows you to pull them in with whomever you want to. If you want to pull big guy, you know, away, it also means that they're stunned. They're out of the way, so if you don't want to use them, you know, you don't have to attack them. And then I think him leveling up, uh, I still think him being able to attack the enemy nexus is interesting, and it could read, you know, you've stunned two creatures, I attack the enemy nexus, or I've seen you stunned. I like that, too. I, yeah. I, I do. I like that, too. Or maybe, like, I, like, you could say, it could be something like, I kill, whenever I kill a stunned unit, I attack the enemy nexus. Yeah, that's interesting. Like that. Whenever I kill, yeah, whenever I kill a stunned unit, I attack the enemy nexus. I think that would be really interesting, because it allows you to hit, and then deal the damage through and you could also pair him and get some with striking uh, like with striking or with overwhelm um which mm -hmm. would be interesting too yeah you can stun something and then strike it or you can stun something and then attack it and overwhelm it with your quick attack to deal your damage over it and then also strike the enemy nexus i think there's a lot of cool opportunities there um, because there's already like you already have the idea where like hey i stunned everything they have now i get to swing at the face mm -hmm. but but where it is now is you stun everything they have you get swing in the face also yasuo tries to kill them and it leveled up he probably does kill them and leveled up he does kill them right so then it becomes a okay do i have enough you know removal to get rid of the probably two yasuos i'm going to see during this game right so i like the idea of yasuo being much more of a tempo champion that can you know targetly like targeted remove things and then you know get rewarded for winning duels he is a master swordsman after all and i like the idea of his reputation increasing as he goes heck there's another idea give him five attack and have him have a reputation based mechanic you know give his you know oh, that uh, would be cool yeah you could say level his level up could be uh you have reputation yeah, I like I like that as well. I think that those are I think that's a I think that's a cool idea. There, there's lots of there's lots of cool there's lots of cool stuff you can do with the Oswald. The point is, we've come up with a lot of great rework. So Riot, you should hire us um, and uh, just hire us to come up with good ideas for you, and uh, and we'll send the good ideas over to you. And I own you will be a viable region again. That's right. And it won't so be too we'll crazy. Break it for you. No yeah, problem. we'll break it. No problem. <laughs> Overnight, we can do it. Well, that's, that's going right. to wrap up this segment, and it's going to begin wrapping up the show as well. Let's go ahead and work our way out of here with some closing thoughts. And I thought I was already perfect. Okay, guys, uh, closing thoughts is a segment each week that we say, hey, if you've taken the time to listen to an hour and 40 minutes of a podcast, hopefully we add something to your life more than just LOR knowledge or theory crafting. Hopefully you've also added something to your life overall. Um, in this episode, I'm going to talk very quickly about I had an assignment at school uh, this week and we had to make a post. It was about, I'm, I'm exiting my master's program and they basically said, how are you going to establish a network of accountability to ensure that you're continuing? Continuing to learn like how do you pursue being a lifelong learner and my response to it was a little bit snarky but I think it was a good snarky response and it basically was you only need accountability to be a lifelong learner if you won't try something new um, if you are in a in your life and you're always willing to be brave and bold and try something new to learn something new um, to try to do something that either hasn't been done or at least you haven't done it you are always perpetually 
learning. You might not always be learning the same exact thing, right? You might not be pursuing the same activity and getting better at that one thing, but you're always learning. And I was just thinking like during uh, COVID, right when it started, I got into miniature painting, terrain building, and, and brewing mead. I'm not good at any of those things but I learned a little bit about each of them. When we decided to start a digital church and I started Lux in this last couple of weeks, I have been learning uh, video editing, graphic design, lighting, camera angles, and about, I don't know, 10 new pieces of technology that I've never learned before. All of that came about because we're trying something new. We're doing something different. It didn't become because I had a, a, an accountability around me of people who ensured that I was continuing to learn, or I didn't set a goal to read a book every week or, or every month or whatever it is. And not that those are bad goals, but you only need accountability and plans around your learning if you're not doing something new, if you're not being creative, if you're not trying something out. Um, and I think the best way to be a lifelong learner is to continually be an adventurer and always be looking at something new, always taking a new angle at something, always trying out something that you haven't done before, always pursuing some type of a new experience or a new activity or a new hobby or whatever that may be. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with bravery, a willingness to change, a willingness to try new things and a willingness to adjust your life to new knowledge. Um, and, uh, and if you're willing to do those things, you will always be learning. It might not always be the most directed learning, but you will always be adding new skills. You'll always be learning new things. Um, and so you want to be a lifelong learner, be brave, be courageous, uh, and be willing to change and add new things to your life. That's my, that's my closing thought. Yeah. I, I think that like the other thing to consider is, is although a lot of people have a hard time with that bravery and there are people out there that like, don't know where to start with that. The only other thing, it's not about holding yourself accountable, but, but it's putting yourself in a position to be adventurous. Um, and, and so like, it's really easy for people to come back home after work exhausted and just collapse on the couch and go to the comforting normal thing. Yes. And that's not going to, you know, fulfill that adventurous lifestyle. Right. Um, and, and I think that I, I'm in total agreement, like the idea that you want to, if you want to be a lifelong learner, you have to go out and take risks, not necessarily with your life or anything, but take risks to potentially waste time or potentially be bad at something or embarrass yourself. Right. That's hard for some people. Probably not you. Definitely not me. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty shameless, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll be terrible at something, whatever. Right. But um, in the situation where you are a little more nervous about those sorts of things, it's not about holding yourself accountable, but putting yourself in the position to succeed in that. And the best way to do that is to surround yourself with adventurous people. Yeah, that's a good way to do it as well. It's so helpful. And, and I've been at certain places in my life where not necessarily through lack of, of an adventurous spirit, but rather through you know, uh, stress and stuff that I've isolated myself. And in those times I was not being a active learner or really even a passive learner. I was falling back on the things I already knew just to get by. It's easy to do, but it's overall not healthy. And so if you find yourself falling into that pit, you know, fairly often, it really helps to surround yourself with great people who are adventurous and who invite you to go do things that you've never done before or challenge your ideas on things uh, and, and try to show you new ways to do them. Uh, I, I can't recommend that enough. It, it's really through 
my close friends, colleagues, and and parents at times um, that I have become someone who is willing to go. And last year, I, I tried rock climbing on a whim because my best friend was like, hey, I tried rock climbing. It was cool. You should come. I have never climbed a rock before. How, do we, <laughs> how does one even do that? Okay, I guess I'll try it. It's now something I do twice a week. Yeah, you know? something that you love and are pursuing and are getting better at. Um, I, I literally never would have sought that out on my own, but because I have people in my life who are also adventurous, albeit in different ways. I mean, Gibbles and Bits introduced me to climbing. I introduced him to LOR. We do that for each other. You can introduce other people to the things that you love and be that adventurous source for them too. So just something to think about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's a great closing thought for tonight uh, and a great closing for the episode. We're going to get out of here. DBN, if people wanted to find you, I'm going to put your YouTube in the chat or in the, in the show notes so they can find that, but how else could they get connected with you? Yeah. The best way is just going to be through the discord. I don't post a lot of videos or really ever anymore i mean I, gosh <laughs> he guys, has the channel i feel though. like mark puts me on the spot every week with this question he needs to stop asking me I do. uh because uh i i have not officially but pretty unofficially retired my youtube for now um it was never a big thing it was only something i did when i had something fun and interesting to share um and although i'm finding myself playing a lot more lor recently I have found that the podcast has really become my biggest avenue for sharing the exciting things that I do with the game. Um, I don't need that outlet so much anymore. So, yeah, uh, the best way to reach out to me is through our podcast. So that's going to be through the Discord. So I am on there pretty often. I prowl around and lurk and occasionally comment on things. But if you ever want to um, ping me in there for something you want me to see, a question you have for me, um, feedback on the show, anything like that, you guys can always do that. I do read it. Uh, and I 90% of the time respond right away. Sometimes I'm at work and I see it, but I'm in the middle of something. But the bottom line is it doesn't annoy me. I feel like it's just really important to say that as often as I can. Uh, interacting with the community is an honest like privilege and pleasure. Uh, so it does not bother me when people ping me. In fact, it's it's pretty exciting. So I, I like to see it and I like to engage with uh, the listeners and, and whatnot because you guys are what make this show you know, go round. We wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for you guys. So um, that's my spiel. Uh, find me in the Discord. I'm there already. Absolutely. And you can find me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 8 to 11 a.m. Streaming, just chatting, and Legends of Runeterra at twitch.tv slash the lift, which is where we're live right now. So if you're here, thank you for tuning in with us and being here live on our live recording of this episode, which typically does happen on Monday evenings about 10 p.m. EST. In addition to that, I'm also the lead pastor of a digital church on Twitch called Lux Digital Church. If you want to check us out, we have live services every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST at twitch.tv slash Lux Digital Church. That's L-U-X. And no, it is not about the character Lux from Legends of Runeterra or LOL. Um, <laughs> but if you'd like to check it out, please come over and hang out with us there. We'd love to have you. And we have a great, growing, awesome community. Um, and we just got started. So lots of cool stuff going to be going on there. That's going to do it for this episode of Legends Cast. Thank you, thank you so much for tuning in. And be sure to come back again next week. 
Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.